Welcome to Woody Online. Thank you for joining us. Today is almost the final part of our proclamation series, working through the book of Luke. We've reached the final chapter, chapter 24, and this was going to be the last part, but we've actually decided to throw in a bonus wrap-up session in two weeks' time. Aren't you lucky? So Luke chapter 24 deals with the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. It's an absolutely critical moment. And whilst it's the culmination of the book of Luke, it's actually the halfway point in Luke's account. He wrote two volumes, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. The book of Luke started with the account of the birth of Jesus, and then we follow through his life, teaching, and then his death, resurrection, and ascension. In volume two, the book of Acts, Luke continues his contemporary history, starting with the birth of the church. At the end of Luke 24, Jesus promises that he will send his spirit. At the start of the book of Acts, we have the arrival of the spirit, and we follow the early phase of the Christian church, its growth and development. However, without the resurrection, volume two would not be possible. This chapter in the NIV translation is split into four parts. The first is the resurrection account and finding of the empty tomb. Then we have the encounter between Jesus and two of his disciples on the road to a town called Emmaus. We then have Jesus appearing to a much larger gathering of his disciples and then finally, his ascension into heaven. Throughout this series, we've typically chosen one component to focus on from each chapter. But today we're going to look at the first three parts that pull together different resurrection encounters. And then Martin will pick up on the ascension in two weeks time. Whenever we look at the resurrection, there are a couple of questions that are always front and center. Firstly, did it happen? And secondly, if so, so what? We pick this story up from chapter 23 that Martin looked at last week, where Jesus was tried, crucified, died and buried. The last few verses of chapter 23 are helpful to read as a reminder of where chapter 24 picks up. So I'm going to read almost the whole of chapter 24 up to verse 49. You can follow along or just close your eyes and let the words of scripture wash over you. If you're listening to this whilst driving, don't worry about closing your eyes. So let's read. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you open our ears to hear now? So this is from 23, verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, 
and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus's body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. He went in to stay with them. 
When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with us, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this and he showed them his hands and feet and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So we have these accounts, first the women encountering the tomb and reporting back, then Peter validating their story, then some of those that had been present and heard these reports encountering Jesus. Further validation before Jesus appears to the whole gathering. Not only is Jesus alive, he brings life to all that he has taught them previously and what is written in the scriptures. So let us just go back to the beginning. The women, they didn't expect to find Jesus alive. Whatever he had told them before he died, they either hadn't grasped it, didn't believe it, or were so full of grief they had forgotten it. The women had been there when the body was laid to rest. They were sure he was dead. He was wrapped in linen cloths and put in a tomb. They'd gone home to prepare the spices and perfumes before resting on the Sabbath. They weren't preparing spices expecting to find him alive. It clearly wasn't in their minds. Now they return with their preparations and they encounter an open and empty tomb. But it wasn't until they had an angelic encounter that they were reminded of what Jesus had told them. Then they went back to the others to tell them what they had found. Now it's the disciples that don't believe it. They clearly were not expecting this either. Put yourself in their shoes. You probably wouldn't either, would you? Even with all that Jesus had done, resurrection was not standard fare. So this whole account is dealing with the first skeptics. Peter, however, does react first. Remember, it was only a few days earlier that Jesus 
had told him how he would deny him three times. Peter had disputed it would happen, yet it had come to pass. Perhaps that fresh memory of Jesus foretelling what would happen and then it coming into being had made him wonder if really this could be true. He runs to the tomb, looks for himself and wonders. It's still hard to believe, but Jesus has form. Could it actually be true? As readers of this chapter, we actually know more about what is going on than the characters that are living it out. But even so, are these expectations and reactions similar to ours? Would we expect to find someone risen? Would we be totally confused, struggling to compute what is going on? Is that the reaction many of us have today, encountering this account, either for the first or even not the first time? Why should we believe it? Did it really happen? Let's look briefly at that. The whole book of Luke has been the closest thing to an historical account. Let's leap back to the start of chapter one. Luke states that he has carefully investigated everything and written an orderly account in order that the reader may have certainty. Luke is not himself an eyewitness to all of the events he describes, but he has gone back to eyewitnesses. We know he is an eyewitness to some of the events in Acts, so we can conclude he is potentially a second generation Christian. There's some debate as to exactly when the book was written, but it's quite possible it was in the 60s AD. The literary style has the hallmarks of eyewitness literature. It's written from a human viewpoint. It drops in the names of the individuals in such a way the original readers could actually go and check with them or people who knew them. This wasn't written in some vague and non-specific way. And there's not just one account here that could be easily disputed or one individual, but multiple. It's telling that this first account is of the women. If you were making up this story, you would not put a woman as your first witness. Women had very little standing in the society of the day. If you wanted to fabricate a story to convince people to believe, you would have male witnesses front and center from the get-go. And through the rest of the chapter, we have Jesus appearing first to two of his followers on the road to Emmaus, and then we have him meeting with a larger group of disciples. These were not individual encounters that could be made up or imagined. In each case, there's a focus on the physicality of the encounter, whether that be walking or touching and eating. When he eats the broiled fish with the disciples gathered, he immediately puts to bed the idea of some sort of spirit or ghost hypothesis. We often hear about Thomas being the doubting disciple, but in Luke's account, he is not some lone doubter. Even after Jesus had showed them his hands and feet, they were still struggling to believe it, but at the same time, overcome with joy and amazement. We also know from other accounts, the resurrection was preached in the early church. It wasn't something added later. 
It was preached as an historical happening. It wasn't taught as some mythic legend or allegory. It was taught as a concrete event that made you have to choose. It's always the crux of Paul's teaching that comes a bit later. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. And then in verse 14, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And so it is today. We cannot now try to pretend it is just allegory about new life. The death and resurrection of Jesus is core to Christianity. Without it, there is nothing. Because he rose from the dead, Jesus was able to demonstrate that he was who he said he was. All that he has taught has a whole new power behind it. The arrival of the kingdom of God, the radical inclusion of the last, the least and the lost. It was not just warm words. It was the teaching of the son of God that God is stronger than death and there is life after death. It meant there was a hope, a hope for a future, a hope that is assured, that is real and personal in Jesus, that God has stepped down into our world and that God has defeated the devil's plan to end Jesus. Death was not the end. And we see this again and again in societies that seek to rid themselves of Jesus, of Christianity, the church just seems to grow. Look in China, look in Iran. We'll be looking at the persecuted church in more detail in a few weeks time. But it forces us to make a decision, to make a response. And this can be a stumbling block in our society because it can shatter worldviews. It's an offence. It doesn't seem to make sense, but that doesn't mean it's not true. We have an incredibly troubled relationship with truth right now. Tim Keller talks about how we live in a society of likes and dislikes. We do things we like, we don't do things we don't like. We follow things or people on social media that we like and we don't follow the things we don't like. It's why we have these problems creating echo chambers and only hearing people who agree with us. We're told we can choose our truth. Now apparently we can create alternative facts. We seem to live in a culture where if we just deny a truth long enough or speak a mistruth often enough, we can ignore reality but that is not a sustainable or tenable position. Paul, who we've just heard from, was offended by Christianity. Paul was one of the greatest opponents 
of the early church. But when he encountered the risen Jesus, his likes and dislikes no longer mattered. We cannot decide whether Christianity is true on the basis of whether we like some or all of it or not. We're confronted with a hard fact. Is Jesus who he says he is or not? Did he rise, in which case he is God and he needs to be listened to, or not, in which case he is irrelevant? Maybe you've always assumed the resurrection was a myth or a legend. Maybe you were taught Jesus was a myth or a legend. Maybe you've never been taught who Jesus really is or what actually happened. So how should we respond? If you're watching and listening and you've never grappled with this, there is a challenge here. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, what are you going to do in response? If he really does have power over death and he is really God, how do you respond to him? If that is you, I would encourage you to do one or more of the following. Pray. Ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. If you don't know what that means, you know, you don't have to be praying, kneeling down with your eyes closed. You can do it walking around. Just ask God. Read, get hold of a Bible. If you don't have one, get in touch with us. We would love to give you one. Start reading it. Read through these gospel accounts, the encounters with Jesus. Speak to a Christian friend, ask questions, then ask more questions. Ask them to tell you their story of faith. Ask them to pray with you, to look at the Bible together. Again, if you need some help finding resources to do that, we would love to provide them. Get in touch. If you don't know any Christians, drop us a line on social media, get in touch via our website, or come along to one of our gatherings on a Sunday morning. We would love to talk to you, to pray with you, to explore with you. To those of you who know this account well, maybe it's lost some of its impact. I would encourage you to just spend some time this week without distractions, as hard as that may be, and just meditate on what it actually means. Ask God to speak to you, to give you a fresh encounter with the risen Jesus. And then tell people, every time someone encountered the resurrection, they told their friends. It was not only an incredible story, but it had incredible meaning. The disciples knew it changed everything. The church grew through preaching the resurrection, teaching and modeling what Jesus had taught and living the life of radical love that is at the heart of the kingdom of God. It wasn't just a nice curiosity to log in to the knowledge bank. It was something that changed the lives of those who heard it and was so important that they wanted everyone else to know and share in this knowledge. It also affects how we read the Bible Jesus' resurrection changes the way we see the whole of scripture. 
First it was the angels, then Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and then with the big group of disciples. What the scripture they all knew and what Jesus had previously taught all suddenly made sense. It all pointed to Jesus, a sacrificial lamb and a great risen king. Perhaps you've come across something called the Bible Project. They have a really simple tagline that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. If you don't, I would really encourage you to check out their YouTube channel and their podcasts. They're in the middle of a fantastic podcast series right now about the paradigms or the frameworks we use to access the Bible. This really grapples with the whole issue of how scripture is this unified story leading to Jesus and so often we can approach the Bible with an unhelpful approach. Tim Keller also has a fantastic illustration of the way the resurrection impacts the way we read the Bible in the same way as the movie, The Sixth Sense. It was released in 1999, so after 22 years, maybe it's safe to share spoilers, but I will try not to in case you've never seen it. Suffice to say, the first time you watch the film, you watch it in a particular way. The dialogue, the interactions between characters, the way you interpret what the characters see in the room. There is then a huge twist in the ending. If you rewatch the film, you cannot possibly see it in the same way you saw it before. In the light of what you now know, everything has changed. That is the effect of the resurrection on the Bible. You realize how everything points to this pivotal moment, this conquering moment, this person of Jesus. Jesus in this chapter opens their eyes to how we know the Old Testament points to himself, how he would need to suffer and then be raised. It is also what Jesus has been teaching them throughout this account in Luke. And Jesus ends by highlighting what is still to come, that the disciples are to preach a message for all nations, of a call to repentance, the offer of forgiveness of sins and of the authority in Jesus' name. So to conclude, Luke is leaving us in no doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. The closest to him didn't expect it. They doubted, but they encountered a risen Jesus and everything changed for them. They saw who he was, what was set out in the scriptures, all that he had taught them in a new light, where they had thought his death was the end of hope. Actually, this was necessary to bring that very hope into being, to conquer death, to offer a way back to God, to usher in the kingdom. And it changed the way they lived the rest of their lives. That is what is set out in the book of Acts. So where are you? Are you still like the disciples at the start of this chapter, unaware of the resurrected Jesus, not living with a certain hope for the future? Are you like the disciples in the middle of the chapter? You have heard about this crazy story, but you don't believe it. Do you need to investigate more?
and encounter Jesus. Are you like the disciples at the end of the chapter? You've heard, you believe, and you're now commissioned to share this news. In verse 49, he asked them to wait for him to send the Holy Spirit. We'll be looking in the new year at part two as we study some of the book of Acts. What happened when the Spirit arrived and what this meant for the growth and spread of the church. But for now, it may not be Easter, but let's ask God to open our eyes in the same way he did the disciples, that we would rush to tell others the good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the power to conquer death. That on that first Easter day, when none of the disciples expected Jesus to be resurrected, that they found the tomb empty. And whether it be the first women or Peter or the disciples on the road to Emmaus or the, the group that gathered, that when they encountered you, their lives were changed and they couldn't stop telling others. Father, I just pray for anybody who's watching or listening now, who has never encountered Jesus, has never maybe heard this story or has never fully grasped it. Father, would you make yourself known to them? Would you make Jesus, the risen Jesus, known to them? To those of us who have heard this account a hundred times, a thousand times, that we can even take it for granted. Would you give us a new revelation of the risen Jesus? That we would be responding like those disciples on that first occasion. That it would change our lives again. That we would be inspired to proclaim the gospel, to tell those we know of the impact of Jesus, of the impact of his resurrection. We thank you for scripture. We thank you that it points to Jesus. Would you open our eyes as we read our Bibles, that in all that we read, we would see how it points to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So thank you very much for joining us on Woody Online this week. If you want to get in touch, the details will be on the screen in a moment. We pray you have a really blessed week. <laughs>